Good morning, and welcome to all of you that are gathered here, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us this morning at First Church. Now, if you will, would you please rise and stand for our call to worship. This morning it is taken from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect word, will. Please remain standing for opening songs this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Honey in the rock. And the last one is heart of worship. Yeah. 
prayer. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves as we come before you this morning, Father. I pray that everybody that entered these doors today leaves all the distractions outside and they come in to do one thing and that's to serve you and worship you, Father. Father, I pray for Pastor Tori's message this morning. I pray that the words that she uses are the words that you have given her, Father. Your true word. I pray she never deviates from your true word, Father. Father, I pray that she be bold in her delivery. And I pray that all those receiving it today would receive it with an open heart and an open mind. Heavenly Father, I pray for the youth of our congregation. I pray for the youth of our community. And I pray that as they go to school, I pray that the blood of the Lamb would cover that property, Father. That no one could get into the harm, those students, those teachers, the administrators, and the staff. I pray that everyone that enters that building would be protected, Father. I pray this also for other area schools as they gather with young people. Father, I pray that all those that are dealing with young people, that you you increase our senses, Father. They are dealing with so many things that we have not ever dealt with before. And I pray that everybody that deals with these children could detect when there is something wrong and address that and curb it before it starts to really fester in us, Father. Father God, I've come to you in prayer this morning and and pray for a political issue that we will be voting on a week from this coming Tuesday. I hate to use the word political issue, Father, because it is not. It is an issue of life and death. You have taught us so clearly in the Bible what you think of life, Father. And Father, I just pray that everyone that is voting would vote on political, not political, would vote on biblical principles, Father. Like I said, this is not a political issue. It is an issue of life and death. In so many ways, we are just like that gentleman in in Maine. We can choose life or death. It is that important, Father. So I pray for our state as we vote on this. I pray that we become a blueprint for other states to follow as we come and serve you. Father, your son came on this earth. He spent 33 years on this earth, Father, teaching us what it means to be free from ourselves, what it means for salvation. And there is only one way, Father, and that's through your son, Jesus Christ. So anyone that's listening to my voice today has not made that decision. I pray for them, Father. I pray that they make that decision and choose eternal life, which can only be granted through you. We're so thankful for the time we get to spend here together, Father. We pray for the spirit of unity to come down in our churches and our communities. The darkness has separated us. 
and we need to come back together. We need to come together as one to serve you. So, Father God, as we leave here today, we thank you for the opportunity to come here. And we thank you that we can come here in your son's name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and never debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power. Lead it. Now, will the children come forward for the children's chat? Good morning. Good morning. Oh, no, it's so quiet up here. Good morning. (gasps) Okay, there's a little bit more. All right. So we have a big lesson today. Look at my little guy here. What is this? A lion. Well, today we're going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den. So when Miss Tori says she was going to be preaching on Daniel, she's like, Shelby, you can pick anything that you want to talk about. And I felt like God was telling me, hey, talk about Daniel in the lion's den. So this morning, we're going to be talking about Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel had a very special story. So Daniel, he loved God. He loved God. He loved to worship God. He loved to pray to God. But there was this king, and this king did not want Daniel to be doing that. He said, no, I am the only person that you or anybody should be worshiping, and I should be the person that everybody, including you, Daniel, that you should be praying to. So this king, this king made a rule, and he made a rule for everyone living in the kingdom that they had to not only worship that king, but they had to pray And they had to pray all the time to this king. And that wasn't okay with Daniel. Because Daniel knew who the actual king was, right? Daniel knew that God was his king. And so Daniel continued to pray. He continued to pray to God. But somehow... The king found out that Daniel was still praying to God. And he's like, whoa, this is not what I said. So go out and capture Daniel 
and we're going to put him in the lion's den. And back then, this little creature, this little lion, they had a pit that had several lions in it. And these lions were so hungry. These lions hadn't eaten for a long time. And if you don't have food in your tummy, it kind of starts growling, kind of like a lion. So these, these lions didn't have any food in their body. They were super hungry. And then that's the moment that Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Did you know that? So these lions were meant to kill people because that's why they were there. They wanted, if, if they were disobeying, they got thrown in the lion's den. But you know what? Daniel prayed, right? Daniel continued to pray because he knew that his God was far more powerful than the king who had given this rule. And so he prayed, and he was faithful to God. And what happened? Does anybody know what happened? He what? He didn't get eaten? What? That's crazy. These lions were really hungry, weren't they? Right? Why didn't they eat him? The angel came. The angel came because Daniel was faithful in his prayer and the angel came. And what did he do? The angel took the mouth of the lion and he says, whoop, we're going to close that. You can't have Daniel. And then all of a sudden, these guys, these guards came back and the next day and they thought for sure that Daniel was not going to be there. But what happened? They looked into the lion's den, and who was there? Daniel. Daniel was there because God protected him. Because God said, you are my faithful son, and I'm going to protect you. So he shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel was actually down there, and he was actually petting the lions, and he was sleeping with those lions. And God gives us these stories in the Bible to be true to our lives. Sometimes we have a lion's den that we have to face. But God calls us to be faithful. Faithful to him. Faithful in our thoughts. Faithful in our prayers. And that God will what? God will save us. God will protect us. Do you think that God loves you? Yes. Wait, yes. let me ask that again. Do you think that God loves you? Yes. You bet he does. And no matter what trial you face, God loves you. And God says, I'm not only going to love you, I'm going to fight for you. Because you're my child. And I want to protect you. And I want to keep you safe. This also reminds me of another story, and it's not in Daniel. Sorry, Tori. (laughs) 
It's another story. It's called David and Goliath. And what did we learn about in VBS this year? Does anybody remember? We talked about the armor of who? The armor of God. And God gives us this armor to put on. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the spirit. We have the belt of truth. We have the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. And you know what? When we go through life and we have any kind of trial that we're down in the lion's den, God says, here's my armor. And when we put up that shield, what happens when we put up that shield? What's coming at us when we learned about in VBS? What's coming at us? Fiery darts. Those fiery darts are coming at us. And we put up our shield and we say, "Uh uh-uh, not today because my God has got my shield up. And he is going to protect me. That's what happened down in Daniel in the lion's den. God protected him. And God says, you're my child. And I will fight for you. I love you. So let's go ahead and pray. Can everybody pray with me? Heavenly Father, your name is the sweetest name that I know. Your name, your name is the sweetest name out there. And Lord, I pray for these babies on the stage and I pray for the ones that are still in the congregation. God, I pray for the people in the congregation and I pray for the ones on the radio listening to my voice. I pray that the lion's den that they're facing right now they will know with their heart of hearts that you are the one that is going to be able to conquer that lion's den because you, Lord, are the one that protects us. You are the one that we simply say, Jesus, and you're there to show us your love, your grace, and your mercy every time we need it. I pray for these children and that their lives, that they will just simply know you, Lord. That whatever they face, that they know that they can just simply say Jesus and that you will show up for them in their lives. And I pray all of this through your sweet son's name, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. That was a powerful children's chat this morning. Guys, don't go anywhere because you're up next. You guys are going to lead us in worship during our offering time. So the teachers are going to be helping get you into place. Um, and this morning, our offering is going to be going towards Carl Lanham and the Nation of Coaches. And he works with different teams um, to bring the gospel to different areas of the world and using the, the, the teams to do that. And so we're excited to be able to support him um, and to hear from our children here in just a minute.
you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've blessed us with. We ask that you would use them, Lord, to bless Carl and his ministry, and I pray that the gospel would go forth with all of the teams that he serves. We pray all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Good morning. Please remain standing while I read scripture. Today's scripture is Daniel 1, 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am not afraid, my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any of the young, other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over David, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your t- servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare your appearance with those of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the chance to come and to hear from your word, Lord. God, as we start this series on the book of Daniel, I pray that you would empower us to live as you've called us to live, Lord. I pray that the words that are spoken this morning would be your words, Lord, that you would be big and I would be little. Father God, I pray that what we hear, we would put into practice in our life this morning. And I ask that you would be with us and open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. All right, so this morning we are starting a new series on the book of Daniel. And I have to be honest with you that I was really hoping for a little bit of a longer break between wrapping up the Armor of God series and filling the pulpit again. And I was really looking forward to that. And I have to admit that when Pastor Joel approached me in September and asked if I would fill in for and after some prayer and a few really hard nudges from the Lord, I finally said yes. And I picked out a simple passage on Jesus, and I began to pray pray and prepare for the sermon. And as I was preparing, I started reading the book of Daniel during my own like personal time with the Lord. And I was just blown away at all that the Lord had in the book of Daniel and his faith. And so one morning I was wrapping up my time in the Word, and I was praying. And I started to pray about that safe, nice passage that I had picked out. And I started to ask for the Lord's guidance. And I could literally feel the Holy Spirit being like, hey, 
you want to reconsider what you're preaching on? And I was like, no, Lord, I don't. I really do not want to reconsider. And so I just kept praying for that nice little passage. And I felt it again. Hey, are you sure you don't want to reconsider? Nope. Sorry, Lord. Do not want to reconsider. And so I went about my day, came into the office, you know, started doing all the things that I do on a regular day. And I kept, the Lord just kept bugging. He kept bugging me and was like, are you sure you don't want to reconsider? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I really don't. And so finally, after like fifth or sixth time, I'm a little stubborn, the Lord was like, please reconsider what you're preaching on. And I was like, okay, fine, fine. I give up. What do you want me to preach on? He was like, the book of Daniel. It's like, you're so funny. Awesome. And so here we are starting a series on the book of Daniel. But you know what? The more that I've studied this book, the more I realize that this book actually helps us to put into practice everything we talked about with the armor of God. We spent two years learning how to stand firm in Christ with our armor on, but now we've got to live. We've got to live in Christ in this broken and messed up world and as believers, and that's where the book of Daniel comes in. Daniel teaches us how to live as believers in this world. So in order to understand Daniel, we first need to talk about Babylon. Now, Babylon's roots can be traced all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis 10 and 11. So Babylon was founded by a guy with the name of Nimrod. And scripture tells us that he was one of the first powerful men on the earth, but like not in a good way. He was a ruthless tyrant and he sought to control people and wanted to build powerful empires. So after the Lord flooded the earth, he told all the people in the land that they were to go and fill the earth. They weren't to stay in one location, but they disobeyed. And instead, they all migrated to the area of Shinar, also known as Babylon. And at that time, everyone spoke one language, and they were all living in one area, so it just made life easy and made things make sense. And the people living in Shinar quickly realized that they were a powerful group of people. Their pride and their power influenced them to try to make a name for themselves apart from God. And they began to worship other gods. And they got together and they started building the Tower of Babel. And their intention was to build a tower up to the heavens and to exalt and to worship themselves in the process. And so the Lord came down and was like, no, this is not going to happen. And Genesis 11:9 says, therefore, its name is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So from the very beginning, the people of Shinar intentionally disobeyed God and band together to make a name for themselves apart from God. And their pride and their rebellion had lasting effects. Eventually, Babylon became a great empire, and it was considered the epicenter of worldliness, ungodliness, moral corruption, and defiance against God. The roots of Babylon still remained. And the people living in Babylon during the time of Daniel still worshipped pagan gods. They still committed all kinds of sexually immoral acts. They rejected any belief in the one true God and often actively opposed anyone who did. And so before God's people were exiled into Babylon, they were living in Israel. God had given his holy people a land, and he wanted them to be a light to the Gentile world around them. But Israel failed. And instead, they became worse than the Gentile nations around them. Israel took God's command to be his holy people and to take care of the land that he had given them, and he did, they just trashed them. And over and over again, Israel committed adultery, 
and they turned their back on God. They did not respect the land. They didn't allow it to rest like God had asked them to in the law. And Israel was supposed to be different than the world around them. But instead, they just ended up looking like the unbelievers around them. And so for decades, God sent his prophets. And these prophets were there to warn Israel that God would judge and punish them for their disobedience. But they refused to listen. And so God used the Babylonian Empire to to discipline Israel for their continued sinfulness and their rejection of God. See, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in a holy land and trashing his holy name. And he allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Judah and to destroy the temple and to force God's people into captivity to live in Babylon for 70 years. And so the the physical kingdom of Babylon eventually fell first to the Medo-Persian kingdom, then to the Grecian kingdom, and eventually Rome took over. But the sinfulness that started back in Genesis still remains. And in the New Testament, Babylon is used as a way to refer to Rome and to symbolize its oppression to God and to his people. And then in the book of Revelation, Babylon is referred to as Babylon the Great. And it's used to describe a satanic world system that will blend spiritual adultery and world power together to persecute the believers of Jesus Christ. We are living in Babylon right now. It's not hard to see the ungodliness, the moral corruption, and the opposition of God's people that originated back in Babylon today, right? The world we live in is getting darker and darker by the minute. Moral corruption is in plain sight, and it's often celebrated by the masses. We see many people in our world worshiping other gods or turning to pagan religions. And the world systems in place are corrupt, and they're run by equally corrupt people. And so the opposition to Christ and the persecution of Christ followers is steadily increasing and going to increase all over the world. And all of this is only going to get worse as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. I know that's not really the uplifting message you wanted this morning, but it's the truth. But eventually Babylon the Great will be conquered by Christ, and that's the good news. But until then, we are stuck here. So then the question becomes, how do we live in the in as faithful followers of Jesus Christ in Babylon? How do we separate ourselves out from this Babylonian world while we're still living in this world? Well, thankfully, God has not left us to figure this out on our own, because Daniel is our example. Every chapter of Daniel equips us to, with the tools that we need to put into practice in our lives in order to separate ourselves from Babylon. So Daniel chapter 1 teaches us that separating ourselves from Babylon will require us to be determined to personally know the Lord and to refuse to compromise on his truth and his standards. So the book of Daniel begins with King Nebuchadnezzar taking over Israel, right? He sacked the temple and he brought Israel into captivity in Babylon. And the exile that the prophets had been warning people about finally happened. And now God's people were strangers in this foreign land and they had to figure out how to live. And so they were given specific instructions by Jeremiah to put down roots and to remain faithful to God above all else while they were living in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7 says this, 
This is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those that I carried in exile, into exile from Jerusalem and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So Daniel and his friends took these instructions and they were determined to stay faithful to God while serving in the king's court in Babylon. And before they began their service, though, they had to go through a rigorous training program. And it was designed to strip the men of their Jewish identity and to turn them in to Babylon's, Babylonians. And so their Jewish names that represented the one true God were replaced with Babylonian names that represented the false gods that they worshipped. So Daniel became Belshazzar, Hananiah was given the name Shadrach, Mishael was given the name Meshach, and Azariah was given the name Abednego. And they accepted the changes to their names because they knew that no name change could change their identity in God and what he had told them, who he had told them they were. And the four men were also educated in the literature and language of Babylon for three years. So the things that they were taught were designed to indoctrinate them into their way of thinking and in their way of living. And so they willingly accepted this education because they knew that their faith in the Lord was strong enough and that no amount of worldly education would change their belief in God or in his word. But during this training program, the king looked after the physical needs of all of these trainees, and he wanted to feed them the best because he wanted them to be trained in the best, right? And so he fed them the best food and wine from his table. Now, eating the king's food at face value really doesn't seem like a big deal, right? But because it was probably the best food. I mean, we all know that kings don't eat like paupers, right? So it was good food, but this food was a problem for Daniel and his friends. Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So the key word in this passage is determined. The word determined means to have made a firm decision and be resolved not to change it no matter their circumstances. So Daniel and his friends had to take action and draw that hard and fast line when it came to what they ate during the training program. And they decided, firmly decided, not to defile their bodies with the king's food or drink because it would cause them to be disobedient to God and to his word. God had given his people specific food laws that he expected them to abide by. And Daniel knew that the food from the king's table might contain unclean meats or other foods that God's law prohibited them from eating. And it would make them unclean before God. They also knew that the food and wine on the king's table would have been sacrificed to the idols of Babylon and before being served to the king. And idol worship in its various forms was one of the main reasons they were living in captivity in Babylon. So they weren't going to touch that food with a 10-foot pole, right? But they also might have remembered the words from King Solomon of Proverbs 23, 1 through 3. When you sit down to dine with a ruler, carefully consider what's before you and put a knife to your throat if you have a big appetite. Do not desire his choice food for that food is deceptive. So in Daniel's day, sharing a meal with someone met implied fellowship, not only with that person, but also with their culture. And that's why King Solomon said, hey, food can be deceptive. 
Carefully consider what you are eating before you eat it. And so Daniel knew that eating from the king's table would signify fellowship with the king, but also fellowship with the culture. And they knew that their assignment was to stay faithful to God and to separate themselves from Babylon. And Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God will be strong and will take action. See, Daniel and his friends knew the Lord. They knew that they had to take appropriate action to start to separate themselves from Babylon. And that started with the food that they put in their bodies. And so the, the first chapter of Daniel teaches us that the first te- step for us to separate ourselves away from this world, it begins with a personal determination to know the Lord and to refuse to compromise on his word. See, Daniel and his friends, they were not casual Sunday morning Christians. They were committed believers that allowed their faith in God to be the driving force behind their life. And they were part of the faithful Jewish remnant of believers that were living in Babylon. And so their personal relationship with the Lord had been developed well before they came into Babylon. They knew God and they knew his word. And all four men had a very active prayer life. And all throughout the book of Daniel, we can see their reliance on God for wisdom for direction, and for understanding. They were able to separate themselves from Babylon because they knew their God. And as their relationship with him grew over time, their obedience and their determination also grew. If we're going to follow Daniel's lead and separate ourselves from Babylon, we have to personally know the Lord. And God, in his love and mercy, made himself knowable. Knowing God is so much more than knowing information or a little bit about God or what the Bible says, right? You can know a whole lot about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and still not have a true relationship with the triune God. You can know every story in scripture and still not know the author of the book. Head knowledge does not equal relationship. It's not about having all the knowledge in the world. It's about having a personal relationship with the Lord that then transforms how we live in this world. See, God created us to be in relationship with us, He, with him. He has given us the Holy Spirit, his word and prayer to help us to know him. And Paul prayed for believers to know the Lord, to personally know him in Colossians 9, 1, verses 9 through 10. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, Paul wanted believers to deeply know the Lord. And having a personal relationship with the Lord changes everything in our lives. Knowing God and knowing his will is what enables us to live faithfully for him each day. And so we've got to get serious about knowing the Lord and having that personal relationship with him. It doesn't just happen without any effort, right? You've got to commit. It takes effort. It takes daily commitment. And having a relationship with you, with the Lord, will require you to rearrange your schedule. It will require you to put him first in all that you do. It will require you to seek him above everything else in your life. God's given you the tools that you need. You need to use them, right? 
Because ultimately, knowing the Lord and committing to that relationship with him changes the way that we live in this world. And it's supposed to. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the Jewish people were exiled in Babylon for 70 years because they compromised repeatedly on God's law. And they conformed to the world around them. They lived as if God's law was more of a suggestion rather than a set of commands for them to live by. And and so Daniel and his friends refused to compromise, right? They They knew that if they lived in relationship with the Lord and they followed his law, that it would transform them from the inside out. And it would keep them from falling into the sinfulness of the world around them. See, God has given us his word. And in his word are his standards for all born-again believers. The standards that he sets in his word need to become our standards for living. And this is what Daniel and his friends did from the very beginning. Small issue, compromising on the small things makes it a lot easier to compromise on the big things down the road. And no one would have known if they had eaten from the king's table, but God would. These four men separated themselves by living faithfully for God and refusing to compromise on his law. And here's the truth. The world we're living in is just as ungodly, if not more, than Babylon was. It's still morally corrupt, right? And there's, we're, there's still, our world is still defiant against the Lord. And not much has changed But God's word hasn't changed either. We need to know God and his word in order to know his standards so that we don't compromise on his word in the way that he calls us to live. And I believe that God is done with compromising, with believers compromising his word and his standards. Many believers are living as if God's word is a suggestion and not a command to follow. And so for years, and I can't point the finger here, because for years I called myself a Christ follower, but there were ways that I was compromising on God's word. I think we all do it, right? And But we've got to stop, because believers for decades have compromised on the small things. We have failed to uphold biblical truth in God's standards. And small compromises over time make it a lot easier to compromise on bigger things. And we're seeing that in our world today. You know, for decades, the church has failed to stand for God and for his truth found in his word. And over the last month, we've been talking about this upcoming upcoming election in November. First Church has taken a stance on life. We believe that all life is precious from womb to tomb. But honestly, we shouldn't even be having this conversation in the first place because the value of life at all stages and all phases should be a non-negotiable issue for all believers. God's word declares over and over again the value of life. We've just failed to uphold it. And sadly, the generations of believers that have gone before us have compromised. We've compromised in those small ways, right? We, we've remained silent when we should have spoken up. We've sought comfort and peace in our relationships rather than having those hard, uncomfortable conversations. We haven't done our job at pointing the next generation to God and to his word and to his truth. And now we've got to vote on whether or not life is precious. That is sad. It is sad, and it's because believers have compromised. 
And I truly believe that if believers had refused to compromise from the very beginning, that we wouldn't even be voting on this issue today. And the value of life, whether and whether or not it should be protected from womb to tomb, would not need a vote if we had stood up and remained faithful to God and his word. The days of compromising for believers are over. We have got to take a stand for truth. We cannot afford to compromise any longer. We've got to get serious about God, about his word, and upholding the things that he says are important. We need to know God, and we need to know his word, just like Daniel and his friends did. Because knowing God's word enables us to draw those hard and fast lines and to say, you know what? I'm standing on this. I'm standing on truth, not going with the rest of the world. The world is craving truth. They need to know Jesus. But sadly, when the world around us looks at the church today, they see that we look and we act no different than the world around us because we've been compromising. We've been compromising with the world and on its standards. And you and I are not to be like the world around us. Knowing God and living according to his standards will make you different. And it's supposed to. That's the, whole, that's the whole part of being a Christian. You're supposed to be different. Your faith in Jesus Christ might ruin some things in your life. And that's okay. It's supposed to. It might mean that you don't participate in the things that your friends and your family are doing because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It may mean that you raise your kids differently than the rest of the world. That's okay. Do it anyway. You may have to refuse opportunities at work or things that come your way because you know that that opportunity would cause you to compromise your relationship with the Lord and the way that he's called you to live. See, God has placed us in this world to live, but believers in Jesus Christ are not to live like the world does. We are not to be like Babylon. And in fact, Revelation 18.4 says, Come out of Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. God is telling believers to intentionally separate ourselves from this satanic world system of Babylon that we're living in. He's looking for believers that will step out of the crowd, step out of Babylon, and align themselves fully with Jesus Christ, with his kingdom and his values. See, Daniel and his friends, they were privately tested at the king's table before their faith was tested in the lion's den and in the fiery furnace. They had to determine for themselves that they would not compromise, that their relationship with God and his word and his standards were more important than the world around them. And they're an example to us to do that as well. And the way they did it was not disrespectful. It was not rude. It was not sinful. They just simply said, hey, here's the line. We're not going to, we're not going to cross it. And doing that actually pointed people to the Lord. First Peter 2.12 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we've got to personally decide that we are going to live for God, that we're going to uphold his standards, that we're going to refuse to compromise, right? And our, relation, our lives need to reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And Peter, Daniel lived this way, right? He knew God. He stood firm in his faith, and he did not compromise or conform. And people's lives were changed because of it. They saw how he lived, and all of a sudden they started saying, hey, maybe this God is actually the real deal. Maybe the one true God is actually the one true God. And people saw how they lived, and it pointed them to God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live differently so that we can point people to God. And God honored them. 
He honored their faithfulness and their obedience. And it says in Daniel 1, 17 through 20, to these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in the whole kingdom. God rewarded their faithfulness. He rewarded them for separating themselves from Babylon from the very beginning. He gave them positions of power and authority because he knew that they would be faithful. And he gave them a holy boldness to stand up against the rulers and the authorities of that time and protected them when the world came against them. The Lord is looking for people like you and I who are willing to do the hard work to separate themselves from Babylon. It's not going to be easy, it's not going to be pleasant, but it's worth it, right? So my question to you as we wrap up our time this morning is, will you step out of Babylon? Will you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, take the courageous first step of a, towards aligning yourself with the Lord and his kingdom and his values? Separating ourselves from Babylon begins with knowing the Lord personally, having that personal relationship with him. And then... It also begins with refusing to compromise on his word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning again, Lord. Lord, you deserve all the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord. And Lord, you've called us to be different. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to put our faith on display, Lord. To put you on display, Father God, help us to live, dig around in our hearts, and that you would point out the things that look more like the world than they should, Lord. Help us to remove those things so that we can be transformed by you, by knowing you and having that relationship. God, I pray that you would give us a a holy boldness to stand firm on your word and on your truth, Lord. We thank you for this morning, and we ask that you would be with us as we go from this place. Amen. So as we close out our service this morning, the praise team is going to lead us in worship with a new song. The words are not printed in your bulletin, but if you know them, you're more than welcome to sing along. Um, But if you don't, I just encourage you to take this time just to sit and to reflect. What's the Spirit telling you this morning? What is he leading you to do? And think about those things, or just take time to listen to the words that they are singing. But this moment is for you to get with the Lord and to ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do with this?
I came across a quote, a quote that's a really good reminder for us as we wrap up our time together. It says, you've been chosen by God to be different. You've been chosen by God not to fit into the secular world. You've been chosen by God to be misunderstood. That is not God turning his back on you. That is God claiming you as his own. He is separating you from the mass of humanity by his grace. So go from this place this morning knowing that you are his. And belonging to him means that you cannot be like the world around you. You may go in peace.